Tonight, what we're going to deal with, and I, I really pray this will be a help to y'all tonight, because tonight what we're going to deal with is what all did God do to make a way whereby we could walk in all that God has for us. And he's going to use Israel as a contrasting illustration. So if you would please stand in reverence to the reading of God's word. Isaiah says in chapter 1 of chapter 5 verse 1, Now will I sing to my beloved a song of my beloved, touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard and a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it. And he gathered out the stones thereof. And he planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the midst of it. And also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes. And it brought forth wild grapes. Let's pray. Father, would you please use this passage in our hearts tonight. And Father, may this be a time of just reflecting on all that you have done for us. But Father, as well, may it be a time of examination of what's coming out of us. And Father, I'll thank you and I'll praise you for what you do in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, you have to understand the backdrop of Isaiah. Israel is in Babylonian captivity as chastisement for their idolatry. God has provided everything for them. God brought them to the promised land. And instead of driving out the Canaanites, they began to mingle with the Canaanites, began to wed with the Canaanites, and lo and behold, the Canaanites took authority over them, and then lo and behold, they began to worship the God and the idols of the heathen. And with that being said, God had told them that if that day came, remember we saw this in Numbers, if that day come, that he would pull them out of that land. And God has done that. They're in Babylonian captivity. God's going to raise up a deliverer in Darius later on in Isaiah whereby God will deliver them out of that captivity because they repented. But God's first got to get their attention. God's first got to let them see why they are where they are. And so this if you will, Old Testament parable. And that's really what it is. You don't find many parables in the Old Testament, but there are some. And this is one of them. And God uses this parable to help Israel understand how he sees them and how he sees what they're doing. And I want you to look at this with me together. Verse 1 deals with the exaltation concerning the vineyard. Isaiah, in thinking about this vineyard, he just breaks out in song. He says, now will I sing to my beloved, being the Lord. A song of my beloved, being the Lord. 
touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And so Isaiah begins by acknowledging this vineyard. We know what this vineyard represents. And you say, how do we know? Look at verse 7. It says, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. So the vineyard is not a place, it's a people. And remember, he's given a parable here, and now he equates Israel as the vineyard. And Isaiah says, look at what God's done. He has a vineyard, and he has done a mighty thing for that vineyard. And Isaiah just begins to sing and exalt God for what God's done for his vineyard. And by the way, if you have any understanding of what God's done for you, you ought to be singing and shouting as well. And this is where Isaiah begins. Now, you say, well, what made Isaiah so excited about this vineyard? Because he lays out what all God done for it. Notice, secondly, the excellence of the vineyard. Look with me, if you will. There's several things we're going to look at that God did here. Bottom verse 1 is the first thing. It was a chosen vineyard. Look what it says. My beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. In other words, God set it apart, God set it aside, and God planted it, and God put it on a very fruitful hill. Then you say, well, what is this referring to? Well, it's referring to this. That this vineyard that God is using in a parabolic manner, he's saying, I have put it on the crest of a hill where it's the most fertile of all the soil. And the sun never gets impeded from it. Therefore, it gets full sun. It gets the fertility of the land. And being on a hill gets plenty of moisture. In other words, God said, I planted this vineyard in a place that absolutely would be a place there would be no problem for this vineyard to grow and this vineyard to be fruitful. Now, as you relate this to Israel, you think of it from the standpoint of Canaan. And now God in Canaan gave them the most fertile of all the land of that day. And you remember, it can even go a little bit further to the temple. And when God planted the temple, what? Up on the crest of a hill. If you've been to Israel with me, when you look at Jerusalem, about any direction you look, there's one thing that stands out above everything else in Jerusalem. And you say, what is it? It's the Dome of the Rock. It sits higher in Jerusalem than any other place in Jerusalem. And that's where the temple was. And God's presence was. And God said, I placed it on a fertile of a hill. I placed my people in a fertile land. And I placed my people in a place. Now remember this. When they went to Canaan, they were eating from someone else's labor. And they were living in someone else's houses. You remember, the Bible says that God had not brought Israel to the land of Canaan and allowed the heathen to stay in the land of Canaan, that the land would stay fertile and the land would be ready for them when they got there. And Israel was living off of the land, the crops, and the houses of another people who God has removed. God said, I've done everything. 
I've made it to where this vineyard would grow. I've made it to where this vineyard would be fruitful. And I've made it where this vineyard would prosper. It was a chosen vineyard. Now, let me ask you a question. Has not God done the same thing for you and I? Has he not planted within our hearts that whereby you and I can grow in grace and knowledge and be fruitful in the fruit of the Lord? Has he not planted us in a place whereby desperately needs to feed upon the fruit that comes from our life? Has not God provided everything for you and everything for me that we may grow and be fruitful all the days of our life? And by the way, if you know anything about salvation, you didn't choose him, he chose you. And you and I are a chosen vineyard. You and I are a chosen people just like Israel. And you and I are a people that have no reason whatsoever not to be fruitful. But look at the second thing God did for this vineyard. Not only was it a chosen vineyard, but it was a consecrated vineyard. Notice what he says at the beginning of verse 2. And he fenced it. Now you say, what, did he, what does that mean he fenced it? He marked it off as his. He put the boundaries around it. And he said, this is my vineyard. And no one else gets to my vineyard. He fenced around it. He hedged it, if you will. And there's what it means. Israel is my people. I will protect them. I will provide for them. They are my people. I've set them apart. That's what consecrated means. I've set them apart unto myself, and I am a jealous God. You better be glad God's a jealous God. And God has so done the same for you. When God saved you, I got news for you. He hemmed you in. He fenced you in. He hedged you in. And whether you realize it or not, the day God saved you, you ceased to be about yourself, and you became all about him. And God don't want to share you with anything or anybody. You're his people. And he has set you aside for himself. That is the one truth that cannot be captured in the church in America. We cannot get past the fact that we are living for ourselves. Listen, we're not living for ourselves. We don't belong to ourselves. The Bible says you've been bought with a price. You're no longer yourself. You belong to him. If we could ever get through to people that you with the day God saved you, you cease to be about living your life for your own good. You ceased about, be, about living your life for your own pleasure. It became you living your life for his glory. He said, I put it upon the most fruitful hill. I've chosen it unto myself. He said, I've fenced it around. I, I've marked off the property. And this belongs to me. Can you imagine God saying that of a people? If God be for us, who can be what? God said, I've marked it out for myself. These are my people. And by the way, if you're saved today, you're his. Well, you say, well, preacher, 
That alone ought to be enough. Oh, it gets a lot better than that. Look what else God did for this vineyard, being Israel. It was a cultivated vineyard. Notice what it says here. He said, and he fenced it and he gathered out the stones thereof. What does that mean? He removed any obstacles that would cause it not to grow. The, fer the soil was already fertile. But how many agree you can have a fertile soil but have a stony soil and the vine cannot grow as it meant to grow? So what did God do? God said, oh, I planted on the most fer fer fertile hill. And he said, I fenced it in unto myself. It's my property. It's my people. And he said, but oh, I did so much more. He said, I purged it. I went through and I removed every stone that would inhibit it from growing. I removed every stone that would keep it from being fruitful. I removed every device, every wicked thing, every sin. I removed it all that there would be nothing to hinder the growth of my vineyard. What did God do for you when he saved you? Did he deal with some sins in your life or did he deal with all the sins in your life? Did he set you free from some or set you free from all? And by the way, if you know anything about working a vineyard, you remove the stones before you plant and here's what you find. You're always going back and removing more. You never, ever stop cultivating the land. And in your sanctification, guess what God's trying to do? He's trying to remove more stones. He's trying to remove more weeds. He's trying to remove anything that could hinder your growth and your fruitfulness. He's trying to purge out of you everything that don't look like his vineyard. But are you letting him? Are you letting the husbandman of your vineyard, of your life, purge out what he needs to purge out? See, it's an amazing truth. God said, Israel, I've planted you in the most fertile ground. I, I've chosen you unto myself. I, I've, I've consecrated, set you out that no one could have you but me. I've cultivated. I've made it to where nothing would inhibit your growth and your fruitfulness for my glory. Let me ask you a question. Before God saved you, what did he have to do in cultivating your heart to get you ready for salvation? I promise you, God prepared you before he ever convicted you. I promise you, God had been dealing with you probably many times way before God actually saved you. Many of you I've talked to, and you talked to me about how God's been dealing with you, and then finally God breaks through, and you see yourself the way God saw you, and God saved you. I've had that testimony many times within this church family. Many times God's got to get you ready. He's got to cultivate your heart. What all did God have to do to bring you to salvation? What all did God protect you from to bring you to salvation? You say, well, preacher, I have no idea. You don't, but I promise you this, it was a lot. 
And God in his cultivating work got you to the place where you would say yes to him. And every day of your life as a Christian, guess what God's doing? He's still cultivating the soul of your hearts. He never, ever stops. You ever seen a garden that's been planted and left unattended for a long period of time? Begins to be grown over with weeds, does it not? And the weeds begin to take over the plants. And it chokes out the life of the plants and they can't produce what the plant was supposed to produce. Well, can I ask you a question today? Why in the world would you think God would leave you alone? That the things of this world would choke out of you what God wants to do in you? Are y'all hearing me tonight? Say amen. Oh, it's the loving care of a loving God. He said, I planted it on the most fertile hill. It's a chosen vineyard. He said, I've fenced it in. I've set it apart. I've marked it off as mine. It's a consecrated vineyard. He said, I've cultivated. I've pulled out the stones, every stone, everything that would keep it from growing. He said, I've went, I've went, God's went and pulled it out. He said, oh, but it's, that's not all I did. You see, it's also a choice vineyard. Oh, here's where it gets good. Watch what it says here. He said, and I've planted it with the choicest vine. Now, there's different words in the Hebrew for vine. And in the culture of that day, there is one grapevine that was known in that day to be the Royals Royce of all grapevines. And it was called a Shurik vine. That's the Hebrew word used here. He said, listen. He said, I planted on most fertile hill. He said, I brought everything out of it that would keep it from growing. And he said, I planted in my vineyard the Shurik vine, the most fruitful, the most luscious, the most best vine that there was of that day, he said, I planted it with the best. He said, there is none better than the vine I put within my vineyard. You say, preacher, how's that help me? Because John 15, Jesus said, I am the... Can I ask you today, is there any vine been planted in you that can be better than that? Do you not understand today that God planted within you the life of his son? He's the vine. You're the branches. Hey, listen, all you're to do is display the fruit. It's the vine that produces the fruit. But aren't you glad today that the vine that produces the fruit in our life is the very God himself, the Messiah, holy of holy, king of kings, all of glory. He's the one that died, rose again. He conquered death, hell, and grave, created everything. Hey, can I tell you today? He's the vine that lives in you. If you think God's cheated you and you're saved, you don't know who God is. God planted within you the choices of all vines. God gave Israel everything they needed. 
Well, there's one more thing he did. You say, preacher, isn't that enough? Oh, no, that's not enough. You see, it's also a controlled vineyard. Look what he says. And build a tower in the midst of it. What's the tower for? To control what comes in to the vineyard. It's a watchtower. It's meant to protect the vineyard. The watchtower would be planted in the vineyard, whereby the one that mans the watchtower would always be watchful that no one else and nothing else would impede upon the vineyard that was God's. And God would be the protector of his own vineyard. And his presence would be in the middle of the vineyard at the watchtower. Are y'all not getting this? Do you understand when God saved you? He took his very presence, planted it within you. And the Bible says he is your provider, he is your protector. And can I tell you today, if you belong to him, if you're his vineyard, I got some good news for you today. Nothing can come up on you unless God either permits it or initiates it. And God's always on watch for you to protect you, guard you. Why? Because he wants his vineyard to prosper. Wow. The most fertile soil, the crescent of the hill, fenced in, marked off as his own, cultivated that nothing would impede the growth, planted with the best of the best of the best of all vines, the Shurik vine, and watched day and night and guarded that nothing could pilfer his vineyard. So what do you think should have come from this vineyard? I want you to see with me not only the exaltation concerning the vineyard and the excellence of the vineyard, but the expectation of the vineyard. Notice the word in here. And he said also, made a wine press therein. Why would you put a wine press in a vineyard? Well, a wine press was to be used to extract the juice from the grapes, whereby it could make the, the juice or the wine. So God planted the vineyard. He fenced it in. He put a, a tower to watch over it. He planted it with the greatest vine, put it in the most fertile soil. He said, I've done everything for the vineyard. It should just prosper. He said, I'm so excited and I'm so expected that I'm going to go on and build a wine press before the grapes ever come on the vine. And he makes every preparation for its fruitfulness. But not only does he make every preparation for the fruitfulness, there's the anticipation of the fruitfulness. What did God expect to come from his vineyard? You said fruit. Well, I would say to you, 
that it did produce fruit. You see, that's not what God expected. Not just fruit. God expected, now listen to me, here's the whole message summed up in one sentence. Y'all ready? God expected fruit that was true to the vine that was planted. Let me say it again. God expected fruit that was true to the vine that was planted. What was planted? The Shurik vine. The great, uh, most, pro- most profitable, most, most glorious vine of all the vine. What did God expect? The fruit of the Shurik vine. Oh, the most tasty, the, the biggest, the most luscious, the biggest clumps of grapes. Oh, the ones that would make the best juice and the best wine. God said, I just expected, I anticipated, I made the wine press that it would just produce what the vine that I planted would produce. So what does God expect from our lives? That the fruit of our life would be true to the vine that was planted within us. And we've already established the fact that vine is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does God expect? Not the fruit of man, but the fruit of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit. God expects from us fruit that reflects, speaks, and absolutely testifies of the vine by which was planted in us. When a vineyard would grow of a shurik vine and the grapes would come off and the juice would come out and they would taste of the, of the juice of that vineyard, they would know real quickly what vine was planted. They would know that it was the shurik vine or not the shurik vine because the shurik vine had just a special taste to it, this special uh, something about it. And they would know where it was. Let me tell you something today. When people pick from your vineyard, are they knowing that it is Jesus Christ? Or when they pick from the, your vineyard, are they confused about where the grape's coming from? John 15, Jesus went on and said in verse 5, I am the vine. There it is again. You are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much what? For without me, you can do what? So what fruit can come out of you that represents the Lord without him? None. You see, you see the exaltation concerning the vineyard, the excellence of the vineyard. You see the expectation of the vineyard. Oh, but watch this. Here's where it really gets amazing to me. The examination of the vineyard. Watch what it says at the bottom of verse 2. I looked. Oh, but don't pass that word over. It wasn't that he took a glance. The word looked there means I looked with great anticipation, with great vigor. I looked. I gazed upon. I watched. I couldn't wait. For it produced the fruit that was true to the Shurik vine. I looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. Hebrew word here is monk should. Monk should is defined this way, putrefied, stinky, 
defiled, poisonous. He said, I look for it to bring forth fruit true to the vine. And he says to Israel, I watch. I planted you in the land, the most fertile land. I was everything to you. I hedged you in as my people. I guarded you. I protected you. I provided for you. I cultivated everything for you that you could grow and prosper as I intended you to grow and prosper. But instead, I looked for the fruit of my labor and what I found was monkshood. Wild grapes. If you'll let me, it's pictured as the flesh. He said, I looked and all I found was flesh. This word's used, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 39 through 41. Listen to it with me. And one went out into the field and gathered herbs and found a wild vine and gathered therefore wild gourds, his lap full, came and shred them into a pot of pottage, for they knew them not. In other words, monks should look just like grapes. It's the same picture as the wheat and tares. You look at a wheat and tare before it brings forth the fruit of the head. You can't tell them apart. But when it brings forth fruit, you can tell them apart. He, these grapes, these monks should look so much like real grapes. And he said, and it came to pass, as they were eating the pottage, they cried out and said, Oh man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat thereof. But he said, then bring meal. And he cast it into the pot. And he said, pour out the, uh, uh, for the people that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. Let me ask you a question. When the fruit of our flesh comes out versus the fruit of the vine of the Lord Jesus, what does it bring to the world? Death. You all agree with that? Say amen. But what does the fruit of the vine of the Lord Jesus bring? Life. Hope. And he said, I looked, and I looked, and I looked. And he said, I saw monkshood. Look at verse 3, the evaluation of the vineyard. Can you imagine God asking Israel this? Look what he said in verse 3. And know now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, Judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. Here's what God said. Now listen to this. He said, all right, guys, something went awry. Either the one that prepared the vineyard or the vineyard itself. He said, you judge which went wrong. Can you imagine God saying that, Mickey? That blows my mind. God said, you choose, you judge, you, you, you judge. You look at what all I did for the vineyard. You look at what come out of the vineyard. You tell me, was it the vineyard or was it me that prepared it? What went wrong? You see, this was the evaluation. Whereby God asked Israel to judge himself concerning the vineyard. Why would God ever do that? Because if you have any understanding of God, when you try to look at God, you're going to see what? Yourself. And God knew there's no way 
They could pin this on him. So when the fruit of the flesh comes out instead of the fruit of the true vine being Christ, who's at fault? I promise you it's not the vine. Now watch and I'm done. The explanation of the vineyard. Here's another question I can't imagine God asking. He says to Israel, what could I have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done to it? Could you imagine God coming to you? And maybe you had one of those weeks where you're walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. Can you imagine God speaking from heaven and saying to you, hey, Mac, can you tell me something? What more could I have done for you this week that you could have walked in the Spirit and not in the flesh? What more could I have done? Oh, listen, can I tell you the answer to that? Nothing! He had done everything that needed to be done. You see, it wasn't the vine, it wasn't the maker of the vineyard or the planter of the vineyard. It was the branches in the vineyard. And God said, what more? What more could I have done? See if this resonates with anybody. If only I had more time. If only my work was not so cumbersome. If only I didn't have to spend so much time. If only I had enough money, I could really live for the Lord. If only I didn't have all these family responsibilities, I could be more faithful. See, there's a lot of people today living under the osmos of if only this and if only that. And yet God in heaven is looking and said, what more could I have done? Let me tell you something. If you're too busy to obey God, then you're in the wrong place. It's not God's fault. Are y'all hearing me say amen? I'm telling you right now, all these excuses go by the wayside when you realize what all God did to prepare you as the vineyard. And God, in His grace, mercy, and love, looks for fruit that's true to the vine the person of the Lord Jesus, the character, nature, holiness, righteousness, peace, love, joy of the Lord Jesus. And when he doesn't see it, can you imagine in heaven? What more could I have done? 
You say, preacher, why would you bring this message to us tonight? Number one, God told me to. But number two, for you to ever be able to rest in all the provisions of God, your Canaan, the life of the Lord Jesus, you've got to allow God to cultivate you moment by moment, day by day, second by second. And understand this. When you have those weeks that the fruit of your life is flesh instead of the life of the Lord Jesus, always remember this. He is still wooing you to himself. He will never give up on his vineyard. Now you say, well, preacher, if you read the rest of those verses, it sounds like he gave up on the vineyard. Oh, no, he just put a pause on the vineyard. Can I tell you, God's going to fulfill everything with Israel he told Israel he would do. Are y'all with me? But does God pause from providing everything he wants to do for them? Yes, he does. Does God do that for us? Yes, he will. Sometimes if we walk in our own way, God will let us go there. You say, why? Because when we get to the end of it, we find out how vain it was. And then we come back and say, God, I need your help. And God's there going, well, I've been waiting for you the whole time. You see, the wooing work of God is always bringing you back to a place that the true vine can produce in and through you what's true to that vine. And when people pick from your vineyard, all they have to say is, wow, what a grape. I promise you this, when you eat from a vine and that grape is good, you'll never, ever, ever say, wow, what a branch. You'll say, wow, what a vine. So here's the invitation. It's simple. You know what God did. You know what God's looking for. And you know God's prepared and enabled everything that he did and looking for to be reality. So it's just a simple question tonight. As simple as I can make it. How's your grapes taste? It's that simple. How's your grapes taste? You say, preacher, they're pretty putrefied right now. Then how about letting him hoe out the bad that the true vine could flourish in your life? Right here, right now, let's be honest with God. Because I'm telling you, what would take place if God could do through each of us that are saved in here tonight whatever He wanted to do this week alone? 
What do you think would happen come next week? I promise you this. We probably wouldn't have a church big enough to see them all. Just let the true vine be the true vine. Let it produce in you what only it can produce. And when people taste of your vineyard, boy, it tastes good. What a vine. What a Savior. What a Christ. What a Redeemer. Father, I pray right now you're examining your vineyards in here tonight. Father, I pray that you would make it clear to us the fruit that's coming from our lives. Father, I pray that you would give us a heart to let you cultivate anything out of us that doesn't represent the true vine of Jesus Christ that lives in us. Father, every day, may people be able to say of us, it's only Christ in you. Father, have your will and your way tonight. I pray we wouldn't push against you trying to pull some rocks out of our life tonight. I pray that we're not taking a shovel and trying to cover our rocks. I'm praying our rocks have come to the surface of the soul and they're as in plain sight as they've ever been. And in your grace and your mercy, your forgiveness, and in repentance, you'll pull them out. And you'll cast them where they belong, out of the vineyard. And I'll praise you for what you do tonight. In Jesus' holy, precious, and mighty name. And all God's children said,